Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Nate Hopkins. Hello. Andrew Mason. Good morning. Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we've got a special guest, Lori Olson. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. You want to introduce yourself real quick, let people know who you are, why you're famous? Sure. So I'm Lori Olson. My company is the Windex Group and why I'm famous. I was in the Women on Rails panel at RailsConf like 10 years ago, and I've been speaking at conferences um, pretty much all over the world on Ruby and Rails and Ruby Motion ever since. Yeah, we talked last week a little bit about Ruby Motion, and it was it was funny because I looked at you because it was a video call like this, um, and I was like, I know you from somewhere, and yeah, so it must be from one of these conferences. Yeah, I'm certain that's where it was. I just don't know which one. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I I managed to get out to a bunch of them. So, but yeah, so we got you on to talk about Ruby Motion, and before we get going too far, you're teaching a course on Ruby Motion, which to me kind of says hey, she knows her stuff. Do you want to just briefly plug the course? Uh, I think you said you were doing a webinar as well. So just let people know where that stuff is. And then we can dive into your history with RubyMotion and talk about what it is. Sure. So I actually have a RubyMotion school at Windex.school. But upcoming at the beginning of April, I have a course called Six Pack Apps, uh, which is sort of your on-ramp to mobile app development. And I have an introductory webinar, completely free and filled with interesting stuff, which basically goes over your six steps from idea to app store. And that will be on April 2nd, the webinar will be. And the course is going to start the following week on April 9th. You can sign up for the webinar at sixpackapps.com. That's six digit, sixpackapps.io. I love that. It reminds me of that movie, There's Something About Mary and that crazy guy in the car with the six minute abs. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I have six pack abs. I'm just not going to show you right now. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be. They're all laughing because they see me on the video and it's clearly <laughs> not true. I'm going to be like really honest. Like, I'm like about as far as you can get from six pack abs as you can possibly be. But, uh, my original name for the course uh, was somewhat uninspiring. And I actually have a business coach and, and I was talking to him about it. And it took him like, I don't know, 20 seconds and he came up with that name. And that's I was awesome. like, that's awesome. Very cool. So yeah, I guess uh, we should probably dive in a little bit into what Ruby Motion is. Yes, Ruby Motion. So we have Ruby the Maths Ruby, C Ruby, and it's an interpreted language. Ruby Motion is a compiled language, and it was originally created to do mobile application development, iOS development, and now you can do iOS, Mac, and all of the, you know, watch, Apple Watch, Apple TV, all of that kind of development with it, as well as Android development. And all of those are, RubyMotion is a compiled language and it is based on the LLVM. So it's, it is both similar to, but different from the Ruby development that most of us do as web developers. That makes sense. Uh, can you do Windows apps as well? Or is that not a thing? Um, not yet. 
Someday. I'll just uh, point out there was a um, a blog post that Amir Jean, the steward of Ruby Motion, did a couple of weeks ago called "The Sleeping Dragon Has Awoken," and he has spent his two years as the steward of Ruby Motion quite well figuring out what the future of Ruby Motion is, and the future is it's getting a new name and it is going to be open sourced. So expect sometime in the next month or so, Ruby Motion to reappear as Dragon Ruby. It's really a cool name, but it actually has a reason. The LLVM's uh, official logo is a dragon. So uh, Dragon Ruby, there we go. And Dragon Ruby is going to be open sourced. So hey, if there's not a Windows version, then people can work on it. That's awesome. And so back when Ruby Motion first came out, there really wasn't many alternatives for creating an iOS application. You had Objective-C and then was introduced Swift and that was basically it. But then since then you have things like PhoneGap, you have Xamarin, which is the .NET counterpart or alternative for Ruby Motion, and then you have stuff like React Native. So where does Ruby Motion really have its space? Where does it have a fit in this now whole ocean of different ways of creating native compiled iOS applications? Okay, so that that's a really good question. Now, I have been working with it off and on for like seven years. Anyway, since since it first came out. And yeah, you're right. When it first came out, there wasn't a lot to choose from. I mean, there was Objective-C and then shortly thereafter, there was Swift. And I have to say, I worked on um, some Objective-C apps. Um, I built a whole plugin for a product called uh, Perfectly Clear, a Photoshop plugin, the Mac version, um, using Objective-C. And you know what? I hated it. <laughs> I don't find Objective-C to be a particularly pretty language. Let's, let's say it, it's not readable. In my mind, that's like the biggest sin there can be. You write programs and then you spend much more time reading them. So if your code isn't readable, it's just going to be a painful process. And that's pretty much how I found Objective-C. Swift, Swift is cool. And like, if you've learned Swift, man, develop your apps in Swift, seriously. I'm I'm not going to tell you not to do that because uh, it, it's a cool language. However, I'm not sure that the Swift developers and Apple really realize the impact that they've had by moving fast and breaking things. Like Swift has had a major version release almost every year since it was created. And by major version release, I mean breaking breaking changes. And I've encountered many experienced iOS developers that had an Objective-C app and they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll rewrite a Swift this year. And then before they got it done, there was a new release of Swift and everything they did was broken and they just got frustrated and gave up. I hosted an iOS uh, podcast for a while. In fact, it was, it just came back from hiatus, uh, iFreaks. You can go to com and check it out. It's on devchat.tv, but yeah. That was a yearly, okay, what's new and what's broken? Exactly. Not only that, but you also had to worry about the App Store regulations or their new policies, uh, requirements to publish an application. So not only do you have your core language that you're using to develop the application break it on you, but then even once you get that up and running and you try to submit it to the App Store, then your app gets immediately rejected because it doesn't have a splash screen now or it's not doing this. You don't have this permission or whatever. So they've added like so much complexity along the ways, which I'm sure is for a good reason for the uniformity of the app store. But it's also really annoying for the developers. It can be very frustrating. And some of that is why I developed the, uh, the six-pack apps course because that's that's one of the steps that I outline is everything that you need to know and do before you actually get around to submitting uh, your app to the app store but um, yeah to move on to your other other languages other products okay phone gap slash Cordova 
that's a cool thing. And I played with it for a while when it came out. But in the end, what you've got there is kind of not a native app. It's basically a web app that's, that's running in a skin on the devices, which for some apps, that works well. But it won't feel as native and it won't be as performant as a native app will be. So again, that's, that's a trade-off that you'll make. And to some extent, although they've branded it differently, uh, React Native has some of the same problems. Some of it is native, but a lot of it is not. Also, and, and I'm probably going to get roasted for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. React Native, it's all JavaScript. And man, I hate programming in JavaScript. I mean, I've done it. I've done a lot of it. I've, I've been paid a lot of money to do it. I'm, I'm a contractor. People paid me money to do it. Um, I don't enjoy it, and I don't seek it out. And in fact, I've turned down more JavaScript work than I can say. I so, JavaScript hates JavaScript. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the JavaScript developers kind of kind of have a love-hate relationship with it too. So when we come back to it, you know, Ruby Motion, it's Ruby. I love Ruby. I mean, I started using Ruby and Rails at a point in my career where I was actually considering stopping being a developer because I was a Java developer and I'd been a Java developer for eight, nine years and I was starting to hate it. I was really starting to hate doing development. It was just so annoying. And then uh, I was at a conference, one of the No Fluff, Just Stuff conferences. And it was supposed to be a Java conference, but you know, it was run in part with Dave Thomas <laughs> and a lot of other guys. And suddenly at this conference, all anybody could talk about in the hallway track was this cool new thing called Rails. That was pre-Rails 1.0. And that was my introduction to Rails. And my coworker and I started trying to use it for a project that we were just starting, just to see how far we'd get. And yeah, we spent two weeks doing that and there was no looking back. <laughs> we just kept going because we got so much more done in that two weeks than we had ever imagined we could do with a language and a framework that we just learned. Yeah. So I've been tinkering on and off with Ruby Motion for about five to seven years now. And so I had to build an application and it had a lot of complexities. It was using the core, core data or the core storage. It also made API calls, used the cameras, and also had GPS capabilities within this application. And I think that one of the main grievances that I had with Ruby Motion, actually there's two main ones that I had that hopefully the community can solve, is one, the APIs. Just, just because you are using Ruby does not resolve you from having to know all of the different intricate APIs that Objective-C has or that Android has. So even though you are using pure Ruby, there's still so much that you have to know about the platform you're going to be developing on. And that could really cause a gap in knowledge or confusion because there isn't that much documentation out there for Ruby Motion, creating a button or using the camera. There might be a few examples, but there's no really standard de facto way. And then the other issue is when someone starts with a new Ruby Motion application, where do they go from there? And I think that's a much more solvable problem because right now you have uh, Red Potion, Blue Potion, a few other, other different frameworks like Flow that it's like, okay, well, what is the right direction? What's the direction we should go if I just want to build an iOS application or if I just want to build an Android application? Okay, so if I was going to build an iOS application right now, I would start with Red Potion. The Red Potion is, is like saying Rails. <laughs> it's not a thing in and of itself. It is a combination of things 
that work very well together. They've been combined and made to work very well together. It is not, however, Rails. <laughs> Don't ever make that mistake. It is not exactly what Rails is. Now, it has a data storage gem called uh, CDQ, and it has a gem that helps you build UI's RMQ. That's Ruby Motion Query, and that's sort of an homage to jQuery. So that gives you sort of an idea of what, what you can do with it. Um, there's ProMotion that helps you build out your screens. Um, these are like really fantastic gems that help you build apps super quickly. And I'll just put another plug in for the school. I have a course called Ruby Motion Jumpstart that helps you go through and create an app with multiple screens, master detail stuff, call stuff from an API, all using the Red Potion stuff. Hey, a quick question on Red Potion. It looks like that's a gem from, uh, or a set of libraries from Infinite Red, uh, the agency. But I know that the, that group has moved to React Native. Are they continuing to maintain those libraries? Now, Red Potion itself, as I said, is like a combination of gems. And so I know people go and look at it and go, oh, it hasn't been touched. Well, all the other gems are under active development. People are working on them. I have right access to several of them. Other community members have picked up the others. So basically all of the individual components of Red Potion are still being worked on. With one exception, there's one gem called AF Motion which is a bit abandoned where it still works, actually. It's just that no one really wants to work on it because it's a wrapper for a CocoaPod called AF Networking, and no one's really using AF Networking anymore. They're using something called LMO Fire. So one of our community members, Andrew Haven, is actually working on a new library called Motion HTTP, and it's actually going to be a cross-platform library where it will help you do all your API calls and, and everything like that on both iOS and Android. So that would solve some of the pain that Dave alluded to earlier, right? Absolutely. And about the cameras and, and stuff, that stuff all falls under another gem, which Matt Imanetti started, but it's, it's a massive undertaking called bubble wrap and it just it wraps so much of the ios stuff in a way that makes it friendly for uh, ruby motion developers to use parts of it see more love than others and now that amir has some help <laughs> uh, he has two new partners aaron lasage and ryan gordon I think Aaron's going to be taking over on some of these gems that aren't getting enough support and love and making sure that they do. So that, that's something I'm really looking forward to, getting uh, a little bit more love for bubble wrap so that all parts of it work as well as some parts of it are right now. I remember in the early days looking at RubyMotion and getting pretty excited about making a uh you know, native app development a little more approachable to the Rubyist. But one of the complaints that the community had was that it was not open source back in the day. Can you, so making it open source, the rename, the rebrand to Dragon Ruby and making it open source is kind of a big deal. Can, you, can you talk about kind of the history of, of why it was closed source and then just the evolution and all, all the way through the path of deciding to open source it and, and creating the organization and moving forward from here? Okay. Well, Amir would be the best person. <laughs> and maybe you guys want to bring him on at some point for... Yeah, I've been talking um, to Amir and we've been working that out. So. Yeah. So I, I can give you, you know, a community member idea of what that meant. To me, I've been a professional developer for 30 years. So I actually don't think it's a great thing that everything that people depend upon is uh, free. Because <laughs> free has... Blasphemy! 
free has a certain amount of, oh, I don't know, people expect a lot of stuff from free. And it's not always sustainable. And that is Amir's huge rant. If you go and check, I also, by the way, have a new, a new as in four months old, um, weekly newsletter, Ruby Motion Weekly. Yes. So rubymotionweekly.com, go sign up. <laughs> when that blog post first came out about Ruby Motion going open source, there was a whole thread on Reddit about it. And there were the inevitable people going, yeah, everything should be open source. And Amir went on a rant. It was like an hour-long rant that he recorded on his Twitch channel <laughs> about sustainable open source. Okay, that's the main topic and how a lot of it is not sustainable. So he spent most of the last year figuring out how he was going to do this in a way that was going to be sustainable. That's why he brought in partners. And that's why he's being very careful about this whole open source thing. Because it's really easy to just throw something out there and say, hey, go for it. And chaos results. And that's not good for the community. Well, let's go back to history. When RubyMotion first appeared, it's actually before that. Before there was RubyMotion, there was MacRuby. And that was something that Laurent Sansonetti uh, worked on at Apple. And then he left Apple and redeveloped that from scratch when MacRuby kind of got left by the wayside and came up with RubyMotion. And of course, you can't do all that <laughs> and give it away for free. Like it's not, it's not a sustainable thing. So RubyMotion became a product. And it started out as everything was, you had to pay. You had to pay to play. And that wasn't necessarily a bad thing because to be an iOS developer in those days, you also had to pay to play. You had to spend at least the $99 to get your app developer account or else you couldn't do any development. Now, since that time, Apple has made a lot of this stuff free and you don't need a pay-for account in order to play. If you want to release apps, you still have to have a paid developer account. So along the way, eventually we ended up with a version of RubyMotion that was free. That didn't get as big a splash as I thought, as it, as I thought it should get um, when it happened, because you could now play with it for free. It's got limitations. You can only use the most recent version of iOS, and you can only use the most recent version of Android, that actually is more problematical than it sounds. Because <laughs> while everybody with iPhones is like on the upgrade treadmill and just goes, 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 Android, not so much. Most of the Android devices are a couple versions back. So anyway, so that causes a few, few problems for people. But so we had, for a while, we had a, a free version, but it still wasn't open source. And people were complaining about that. Over time, after Amir took over, part of the RubyMotion uh, subsystem have been made public. So there's all sorts of guts level things other than the actual language implementation that have been put out there. They're on GitHub. Anybody can go and play around with them. The RubyMotion templates, which is all of the base projects that you can go motion create and get an iPhone app or an Android app or a TV app, Apple TV app or a watch app or any of this. You can get a project set up just when you use the motion create command. So all of those templates are out there and you can go and play with them. You can fix them. You can add new ones. Anyway, there's a lot of subsystem stuff that has been open sourced already. So we should be happy with that. And honestly, for anybody who is longing for the Ruby Motion things or Dragon Ruby to be open source. If you aren't already in there and playing with the stuff that is open, 
then like, why are you even complaining? <laughs> I remember a few years ago, Amir announced Android development on Ruby Motion. And with that came a script command that you can run Motion Android setup. And I thought that was like one of the greatest things that he had done with the project because setting up a Android development environment, setting up all the emulators and the SDK, that can be a little bit confusing if you're trying to follow the Google Docs, which let's face it, Google does not exactly do a great job. Yes, that Android setup is, is awesome. Uh, I, I went through that whole Android process before that existed, and it was a huge pain. So yeah, it also, PS, answers a lot of support questions for people. So that that was in part the reason why it was created. It's just to to get over for everybody who wants to start doing the Android development to get over that initial hump of, you know, how do I get started? Now, I think I think we left by the wayside another framework that uh, Nate talked about. Flow. Flow is like, oh, it frustrates me because it had potential, but it kind of no longer does. Parts of it, certainly, but after Amir took over, he didn't have a lot of interest in Flow and it's just kind of been sitting there. And to be honest, the, the user interface portions of it aren't great either. They're okay. And again, if you want to build something really basic, you can certainly use Flow. If you want to do something in the more challenging, using loads of data and, and stuff like that, you're probably going to run into a few problems um, using uh, Flow from the UI perspective. But there, there's a lot of other bits and pieces under the covers there that aren't user interface that are really usable if you want to do development for both. There's also the whole awesome concept of running the, the super REPL, which lets you in a flow project to run your rake super REPL command and it simultaneously fires, builds two apps, your iOS app and your Android app, and it fires up iOS simulator and puts your iOS app in it and it fires up the Android emulator and puts it in that and gives you a REPL, the read, evaluate, print loop, you know, command line stuff where you can type stuff in and it simultaneously is happening in both, both environments, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> I must admit, when you use it, it's kind of like magic. So like, like I said, there's, there's a bit of a love-hate with Flow. Now, if we get more people interested in Flow and somebody wants to take over development of it, I think it could still go places. But right now, it's kind of sitting there and it's, it's kind of abandoned. Yeah. So with stuff like React Native and Xamarin out there, where you can write one true code base that can cross-compile to two different platforms, I think that's what the original idea of Flow was, where you would have to have your still your different manifests, one for Android and one for iOS. But the principle is that your core business logic is written one time and compiled with the same views for both Android and iOS. And I think Flow really had a lot of promise, as you were saying, to really bring in, bridge that gap, which would make Ruby Motion comparable to the other different platforms. Because let's face it, if we are developing an iOS application, chances are we also want to target Android. And if a company is paying a employee to build out a application, it's going to cost them twice as much essentially in labor to have to build two separate code bases. So my ultimate question is, if we are starting out today using Ruby Motion and we want to target both an iOS and an Android application, what is the absolute best practices to get started? Should we have two separate code bases and move business logic into a gym? Or is there a way that we can build a 
easy to complex application using some APIs, using some data storage, communicating out with third-party APIs. What's going to be the best like mainstream path to accomplish that? I think there's a lot more support right now behind the red potion slash blue potion. Blue potion is a little a little thin yet, but people like it better than they liked flow. So that seems to be the way the wind is blowing right now. Um, and I would really like to see more going on with Blue Potion to bring it up to the same level that Red Potion is at right now. It's probably about two thirds of the way. It, need, it needs some more uh, work, but I'd like to see that that work continue. I'll also say I have a lot of contacts in the world of, of development, um, including iOS development. And it's generally considered by the people who just churn out app after app after app for other people that you should develop for iOS first and then develop an Android app. Of course, if all your customers are on Android, that's something that you might not want to do. But overall, you will always end up with separate apps. So I think having the red potion, blue potion gets you some API parity and keeping your business logic in just plain old Ruby objects so that they can be used in whichever app that is your best route to go for development long-term. If you just want to get a quick, quick and dirty prototype out, I'd use Red Potion on uh, iOS. Okay. And for developing the graphical interface, you really have two different options with Ruby Motion. You could either code it all, or you could still use the nibs using the interface builder on Xcode. So what is the proper path to go? The Ruby Motion way is to build everything in code. And that's the way Red Potion works. It's actually building all that stuff in code is fairly easy. Um, you build your screens and everything, those are your controllers, separately from your styles. And your styles are really your views. And um, there's a nice DSL for creating um, all your views that is built into Red Potion. Now, nibs and zibs, you can totally do that. And there's an interface builder gem that lets you bring all that stuff in. So if you have something built out using a storyboard, you can totally bring all that stuff in. However, to make your storyboard like really functional, you're going to need to stub out a lot of classes in Xcode. And that can be kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's a downside. Um, if you have a large app with many screens, you're going to end up stubbing out a lot of classes and then keeping that, keeping track of those is going to be a problem. But yeah, there's nothing stopping you and from building storyboards. I've done that. I, I actually wrote a book too. Did I tell you that? <laughs> Funny story. When I was building my first app, like you, I was, I was like the dabbler for, for years and years. And I was trying to build an app. And really, my goal was get an app in the App Store. I wanted to have an app in the App Store. But, you know, given what I actually ended up doing, you'd probably look at me and go, really? That was your goal? Because that's not really what you did. Because <laughs> I wanted to get an app in. So I chose a, a familiar topic for me because I'd been working on this stuff for years. I chose this uh, Wimby, Wells in My Backyard. It was a little app that I'd created as a web application in the past. And it was extremely difficult then too. And uh, it takes all of the uh, Canadian oil and gas data, takes the, the abandoned wells and puts it in an app so that people can see on a map where the abandoned wells are. The impetus behind this app was a story where there was some people who had recently built a house in a small community 
in Alberta, where I live, and they thought they smelled something funny in their backyard. And they did. They had an improperly abandoned sour gas well in their backyard. And you can go, wait, how the hell do you not know that you have a gas well in your backyard? Well, there's, there's reasons for that, legal reasons. Once a well is abandoned, and by the official definition of abandoned, capped, whatever, the lease is returned, there's no actual uh, legal requirement for any of that information to stay on the land title. And so most of the time it drops off because it doesn't have to be there. Yikes. And so you can totally have a oil and gas well in your yard, which is just frightening, which is what I thought when this came up. And I was working with all the oil and gas data at the time in my job, operating under the assumption that it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. <laughs> I created a little sub app that was just abandoned well data and put it out there as Wimby, as a web application. So this is stuff that I was super familiar with. And when it came time to develop an iOS app, I was like, yeah, let's develop Wimby as an iPhone app. Okay, so oil and gas wells in Canada, anybody care to hazard a guess at how many of those there are? Thousands. Probably more than thousands, millions probably. It's not quite millions. It's like 900,000 though. Wow. And the vast majority of them are in Alberta. So, and of abandoned wells, it's over a quarter million. So over 250,000. So when I started working on Wimby iOS, it was like iPhone 3GS. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, you, you said something about using Core Data. Ever tried to load that much information into Core Data? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's not easy. And I spent a lot of time figuring out how to do that. So much time and with so much research that I got to the end of it and it's like, yay, it works. Wow, that's like a lot of information. I shouldn't, you know, waste it. So I wrote a book. I wrote a book on how to do that. Um, it's called Core Data in Motion and uh, currently lives in my school. You can buy it through my school now. But the whole thing is, I've spent like weeks, months figuring this out. I spent better part of a year <laughs> writing that book. And then people were interested in that book. So then I was doing conference talks on that book. And you know what? I had never finished my app because I was so busy writing books and doing conference talks. So yeah, so finally one day I sat down and said, okay, this is embarrassing. Like I go and talk at these conferences and I have to confess that I haven't finished the app yet. So I sat down and over the course of like the next month, I finally finished the app and got it released. And that was when I realized that, oh my God, this is so not a, a simple process. Like, you know, you think, oh, you write an app, you get it in the app store. No, there's, there's so many steps involved, so many things that you have to know. So that was when the idea for my course sort of started percolating in the back of my mind. And uh, after I finally got the, the school up and going, I was like, I, sh I should do that course. I should have this, you know, from very start to very end, from your idea to having an app in the app store, I should tell people how, how this whole process works because you can spend loads of time dabbling, but you're never going to get an app in the app store if all you're doing is dabbling. Mm -hmm. So one thing I want to fall back to is with the Red Potion, if you are using that, does it make sense to also use the bubble wrap, which is the API interface for the hardware? Absolutely. Um, okay. I think there's almost nothing that overlaps between bubble wrap and the red potion stuff. Well, there may be a couple of things, but for the most part, the bubble wrap stuff is merely making it 
nice to, it, it helps you avoid using all the horrible objective C <laughs> API. Okay. That's what it's for. That's what bubble wrap is for. Like seriously, if all you're going to do is create your app and go ex exactly against all the objective C um, API, you might as well be writing in Objective C. Like, yeah. Other than the fact that it's Ruby and not Objective C, it's just that the API that Ruby Motion connects to is the Objective API, Objective C API, for all the iOS stuff, for all the Mac stuff, for all of that. That's why things like Bubble Wrap and Red Potion exist, is because Ruby developers came up and went, "Oh, this is horrible," and started creating nice little APIs, nice little DSLs for us to use so that we don't have to be exposed to all that horrible Objective-C code. There's also, by the way, a lot of uh, samples out there. Like I inherited all the motion and motion stuff from, uh, from Fluffy Jack. I got the motion and motion TV stuff. So that stuff you can all find on GitHub still. And in fact, I, I tasked my summer student last year with going through all that stuff and making sure that it was all brought up to date because some of Jack's stuff was, was getting uh, um, pretty old. So I can say that the vast majority of those examples are up to date and actually work in Ruby Motion today. So I'd like to kind of fold this back into the conversation about sustainability and, and making it open source because clearly you know this conversation is demonstrating that it makes mobile development perhaps more palatable and more fun because we get to work in Ruby, but it's a significant investment of time and energy kind of learning this ecosystem, right? And so in terms of Dragon Ruby, what has been put in place to kind of ensure that a, a new investment into that ecosystem is is going to pay dividends well into the future? Okay, so that's where Amir knew he couldn't do all this by himself. So he spent a fair amount of time figuring out, he, he knows what he's good at. He's awesome at games. He's awesome at helping people with their problems. I will say this, like when Amir took over, it was absolutely amazing to be in the uh, Motioneers Slack because no question goes unanswered, <laughs> like literally. I don't know. I, I saw Laurent in there, you know, three, four times tops. <laughs> but uh, Amir's in there all the time. Well, you know, all the time he's not away at conferences, but uh, like he is this week at GDC. And if somebody comes in with a question, it gets answered. If Amir's not there, one of the other people in the community answers it. But nobody sits around and, you know, working on problems and not having them solved. So we kind of have that part covered by Amir, and, and he likes doing that kind of thing. He does not like going off and trying to maintain gems that he doesn't use because he does games. And so, you know, for him, Red Potion is like cool, but he doesn't use it. So that's where Aaron comes in. So Aaron is is like more of a people person <laughs> and he actually is going to be working more with the community and working more to ensure that the gems that the community finds valuable are supported and you know making sure that when people are making contributions that they get looked at and merged. So all, all of that sort of thing. And then there's also the under the covers, guts level C stuff that is the underlying language. It, it takes a special talent to be a, a compiler person. And Amir has been doing that. And he is interested in that, but he's more interested in, in building games and gaming frameworks and things like that. So he brought in Ryan Gordon to work as primary on the underlying compiler guts 
sort of stuff. So now we have like this trifecta of people involved um, working on community, working on compiler, working on helping people. So with that as a base, it's going to be a lot more friendly for the average open source developer to come in and start contributing because wherever they want to contribute, whether they want to help with the, the actual language development, whether they want to help with working on the gems and the other parts of the ecosystem, there's going to be somebody there that that's their, their thing and they will be taking lead on those areas. So Amir doing it all himself, that wasn't super sustainable and it was a little, little scary for people, even though he had you know, a variety of people behind the scenes that he hired to help him. Now there's, there's like a whole triumvirate of people involved and they, they don't call themselves owners, they call themselves stewards, which I love. They're stewarding the development. Is the business model, how has the business model changed around RubyMotion and moving into Dragon Ruby? I mean, that's the, the element of sustainability that I'm, that I'm more concerned with. I want to make sure that the, the stewards are well taken care of so that this is, as I invest my time into this, that I know that, uh, that it's going to, that's got a path forward, right? Okay. So Amir has always had, and he, he published this from like day one when he took over. He had a whole organization set up so that if anything ever happened to him, everything would go ahead and be open sourced, which was like one thing that people worried about. But the other thing is that like, you know, the business viability. Amir has a, a whole suite of games. He's arguably the person who has benefited most <laughs> from RubyMotion. He's made a lot of money developing and selling games in the app store. You know, number one games. Like you, you don't, you know, you get a fair amount from having number one games. And he re-releases them and he's releasing them on other platforms. He's been talking about it for a while. Um, a dark room. He's been working on a Nintendo Switch version. That's what we were talking about bringing him on to talk about, but he didn't want to come on and talk about it until it was ready. Yeah. Was the Nintendo Switch version? He's been he's been on Twitch showing people his work on that for some time. He now has two partners who bought in <laughs> who are happy to be working on Ruby Motion. So I don't think that I certainly don't have any problems. Like I've I've gone kind of all in on my school. I'm teaching people Ruby Motion development. That's my main thing in life now. It's not a hundred percent there yet. I'm still doing, you know, some Rails contracting on the side, but uh, I'm doing that in conjunction with mobile apps. So I'm dog fooding that stuff, man. <laughs> so that's yeah, it's not um, a unsustainable thing at this point it's it's got a life of its own i'll put you on the spot and ask you if you know this stat how many apps are in the app store or either um, ios or android that have been built with ruby motion do you know i do not know i've been working hard on um i have a, a feature on my uh ruby motion weekly where every week I feature an app and it's amazing how many of them there are once you go looking for them. <laughs> but I, I do not know how many there actually are. And the fact is, there's no way to tell unless somebody is trumpeting it out to the world. There's absolutely no way to tell because they're just compiled apps. Just like there's no real way to tell that an app is Objective-C or Swift, once it's up there in the store, there's also no way to tell that it was built with RubyMotion. Do you think that there's going to be a shift away from native applications? So also that would mean away from RubyMotion and more into progressive web apps or PWAs? I think 
it won't necessarily be a shift away. The people that want it to be a web application will continue to make web applications. The people that want an app um, and have an app that needs native performance will always be building native apps. As far as I can tell, just straight up web apps are not going to reach native performance anytime soon. I won't say never because, you know, I've seen a lot of weird things in my career. So there's always a chance. But if you're going to build apps that are native, you're going to want something. Uh, and if you want an app that is performant, I'll tell you this, I couldn't have built my app, uh, Wimby, using web because I couldn't have moved that much data around. It would have been an entirely different kind of app than what I ended up building. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've used some apps and then been surprised to find out that they're, you know, Ionic, which is built on Cordova or, you know, things like that, just because the performance is comparable. But yeah, it's not moving lots of data or, you know, running a, a graphics engine or things like that, where it definitely is, you know, you kind of need direct access to the GPU or you need, you know, you need to be processing data, you know, on the fly on the phone. Well, and then there's, you know, the cool, the cool new stuff, the VR and AR stuff. You won't be doing that with a progressive web app. I have, uh, I have an app that I'm going to be putting up. It, it is, if you go hunting through all my GitHub stuff, you'll find it, but I'm not advertising it and you guys don't have to share the link either, but I have a, an app that I got my summer student to make last year that's going to be the basis of a course in the school. And it's AR game. It is called Survive AR. <laughs> Survive R. And it is a really cool game along the lines of, of like Pokemon Go, but, you know, simpler. But hey, it's built using RubyMotion and ARKit and GameKit. And it's very cool. So this is the kind of thing that you can build with RubyMotion. And you wouldn't really be able to do that with some of your, your web technology app things like Ionic and, and uh, React Native. I feel like at this point, we've touched on almost all the major players in the mobile development, except for Kotlin. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Also, I realize you're wearing a Wonder Woman shirt, and I think that's awesome. It's not Wonder Woman. It's Captain Marvel. Uh, Yay. Yes. <laughs> I'm disappointed in you, Andrew. I just, I just I saw the movie. I should have known. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, Kotlin. That is cool. And I must say, I think I already talked about how much I was starting to hate programming when I was a Java developer. And Kotlin has kind of moved into that Java space. So it's, it's about creating um, apps on Android, right? So that is another alternative for doing native apps on Android. And certainly I would use it rather than doing uh, the Java development just because I probably still couldn't force myself to do Java development at this stage. I've but, always viewed Kotlin more as a framework as Rails is to Ruby as Kotlin is to Java for Android development. Is that inaccurate? Uh, Kotlin is a language. Okay. Um, it's developed by uh, JetBrains, right? JetBrains, yeah. And, you know, I love JetBrains. I use all the JetBrains tools, RubyMine and, and so forth. But uh, I'm an iOS person. I, I have uh, got sort of a partial version of my Wimby app built for, for Android, but I haven't finished it just because the data stuff for Android and in general isn't as friendly. <laughs> Not that the iOS one was friendly, but for uh, using huge amounts of data. So I haven't actually um, had time to to do that investigation again. But from an Android point of view, 
but yeah, uh, just haven't had a lot of experience using Kotlin other than, you know, building your basic Hello World app and going, hey, that's cool. Yeah, the only reason I ask is because I'm pretty ignorant to all of this mobile development stuff, but I was listening to another podcast a couple of days ago and they were talking about kind of the same stuff we're talking about. Um, and they mentioned that Google has started to start supporting Kotlin and started um, kind of making some PRs in there because they've just seen so many people rather use Kotlin than use Java. I can't blame them. I can't blame them either. <laughs> That's what I'd be doing. I'll, I'll admit though, like it's not super difficult to switch back and forth once you've learned a couple of languages like i will say that for ruby motion and and you do not have to be an objective c programmer you don't have to be a swift programmer you do kind of have to learn how to read that code though because all of the um the original examples come out in those languages so unless you're going to wait for somebody else to translate it into Ruby Motion for you, you're going to need to learn how to read that code. It's not that difficult, though. When, once you start doing it, there's a few, a few tips and tricks. But I've got um, a couple of blog posts up, like there was an IG List Kit tutorial on uh, Ray Winderlich's site, and it was a involved example. So I translated it all into Ruby Motion and it was all in Swift. And I ran into a few problems. So I documented all of that in my blog posts. I think that gives you a good idea of what it's like to translate from Swift to Ruby Motion. All right. Well I'm gonna push us to picks because uh I have a time crunch. But yeah, one other thing I just want to plug real quick, uh iFreaks did an episode on Kotlin a couple years ago. So you can check that out as well. They were comparing it to Swift. Before I do that, though, uh, Lori, first, where do people find you online? And second, do you want to just remind people how to get on the course and the webinar? Sure. So online, just about everywhere, I'm Windex Lori. So W-N-D-X-L-O-R-I. And you can find me there. And my school is Windex School. So W-N-D-X School, just about everywhere. Um, my course the six-pack apps, you can find that on my school when, when it's officially open. And I will be giving you guys a link to share that will give people discounts on the course. But the uh, webinar, which I highly recommend everybody go and attend because I'll give you a good idea of what the course is going to be like there. And it's just going to have tons and tons of, of actionable stuff you can use to do your development is sixpackapps.io. Nice. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them and if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs. And this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com rogues. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and do some picks. Nate, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, I've got two picks. One is a TV show that's been around for a while. I think it's, I don't even think they're making it anymore, but uh, it's a family-friendly show that I've been watching with my kids, which has been really fun. It's Psych. I don't know if anybody's got exposure to that, but it's a... Uh, kind of a police drama slash comedy where the the main character is supposed to be psychic but he's not really he's just like super observant really fun show we've we made a good laugh out of that one uh the other pick that i've got this time around is focus at will so that's a music service uh that you can subscribe to 
And for me, I, I keep going in and out um, on my playlist that I listen to and I'm trying to program and really get focused. And sometimes I'll, I'll just waste time. It's one way to procrastinate. But if I want to get right to it, I'll, uh, I can drop into focus at will and just play something and, and it puts me into a state of focus pretty quick. So those are my two picks. All right. Andrew, what are your picks? I got two today. Number one is if you guys have seen, if you guys follow at uh, Josh underscore Creek on Twitter, he's been posting some really cool uh, gifts recently of him basically creating a, a Ruby script that fits in the 200 is it 240, 280 character limit and pasting it into his terminal and creating some really cool um, visual effects with that. My other pick is the other day, and I think we're talking with Jason coming up, but Jason Sweat just released his uh, Rails testing for beginners um, book and I picked it up and I'm starting to get into it and I'm finding it pretty helpful. Nice. Jason Sweat's also a former panelist. Dave, what are your picks? Yeah, so two picks. One is uh, Nucleo Icons, which is a downloadable application that you can use to get a bunch of fancy different icons. I've used it on a project recently and I've enjoyed it. The second is Calendly, uh, C-A-N-D-L-Y, which I'm using for scheduling. It basically allows you to set up a recurring schedule of when you're available with a given link, someone can go and sign up to chat with you or you know to schedule block off some of your time. So that's been pretty useful for some things that I've been doing. Nice. Yeah, I used Calendly for a long time and then switched to Schedule once. And the main feature was that I could set up multiple pages under the same account. It was the big thing for me. I'm going to jump in with a few picks. So I'm getting ready to head out to MicroConf. That's in Las Vegas. Anyway, I found a good deal on hotel rooms at VRBO, so I'm just going to shout that out. I'm actually staying on the Strip, but I'm staying on the Strip for pretty darn cheap. I'm staying at the Excalibur, which isn't the nicest hotel on the Strip, I will admit. Um, the conference is at the Tropicana, and if you're familiar at all with the Strip, you'll know that Excalibur is right across the street from Tropicana. I usually also drive down, and so I'm looking forward to diving into some audiobooks. Lori, when we talked the other day, actually recommended some to me, but I listened to those on Audible. And yeah, it's kind of nice when I'm riding in my truck to be able to do that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting some fiction in while I'm driving. The other pick that I have is I've been working on pulling things together for a podcasting booth that I can take to conferences. And I'm hoping to be able to work with the conferences to line up their speakers as podcast guests and invite other podcasters to come use the booth, you know, so we would just all schedule time and then, you know, audio equipment in there. It, it have, you know, walls. So it would drown out the worst of the noise, but you still kind of get the, the conference ambiance, you know, coming in over the mics just as background noise, but it doesn't overwhelm the discussion anyway. So I'm going to be putting together a Kickstarter for that. And uh, it's, it's basically going to, the, I think the first $1,000 is just going to go toward materials. And then anything after that is basically going to go into a fund for a podcast tour. And so we'll, we'll try and make it to a bunch of different conferences. So, you know, germane to this one would probably be RubyConf. My wife's going to a conference the same time as RailsConf. So that one might be a little tricky. But, um, you know, definitely RubyConf and, uh, you know, some of the more open source conferences, maybe one or two of the Elixir conferences and things like that. So. If you're interested in supporting that, then I would appreciate your help. And I'll probably wind up just printing something that I can stick on the side, you know, one of the sides that basically lists the supporters and things like that. So you'll be famous because your credits will be taken to all these conferences. So anyway, I'm setting up the Kickstarter page right now. This episode goes out a week after we record, so it will definitely be up by then. So if you're listening to this, go check it out. And then I also want to just remind you to go check out Lori's webinar because, uh, yeah, as, as we talk through it, that, that looks like it's going to be a ton of fun. And then you can get in on that course. Lori, what are your picks? Okay, so I've actually been working, I, I mentioned, with a business coach. And he just released a book last month. And it's, it's pretty fantastic, especially if you do stuff like speaking. It's called The Alter Ego Effect by Todd Herman. The Power of Secret Identities to Transform Your Life. And it's pretty, pretty awesome. 
talks about basically how to use an alter ego to be like a better version of yourself, to show up in different situations with different attributes. And uh, yeah, really interesting stuff based on a lot of uh, interesting stories that he has to tell about people that he has coached. So you might want to check that out. And second pick, I think I already talked about RubyMine. Um, you can do Ruby motion development using RubyMine. They actually have that integrated in. So yeah, RubyMine is my second pick. Cool. Well, thank you for coming. And uh, yeah, I, I just encourage people to go check out your webinar and your course. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to dive into Ruby motion again. This kind of got me fired up. So good. Yeah, it's it's exciting. I think you know Ruby developers like it's a no-brainer. Yep. Why aren't you developing apps using Ruby? Yep, hundred percent. All right, well we'll wrap this up and we will catch you all next week. All right, see you later. Bye, guys. See you. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more.